<laughs> basically. What? Her sister is- gave us a ton of stuff, and we have nowhere to put it, so we put it inside the basement. This is actually uh, a diamond self-storage unit that he <laughs> yeah, found. Exactly. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to the Hoops Corner. I'm your host, Peter Tran. And on the line, in the dog pound, the Iceman himself, Josh Cohen. How you doing? Roof, roof. Everything is good, man. Two weeks left in the regular season. Excited for the playoffs coming up, or the play-in, I should say, first. Ooh. And then the playoffs. Did you have to play into the doghouse? <laughs> uh, no, I was not part of that whole committee. So, uh, yeah, I just got uh, I just got put here. I'm in, the, I'm in the lottery, I guess you could say. I'm in the lottery. So I'm, in the, I'm in the basement. <laughs> the basement. I'm going to start calling you the, the Houston Rockets of this pod, man. Formerly Raj's best team in Texas. The banger in the paint, a residential medical expert. Raj Walia, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling pretty good. Probably uh, feeling a bit better than Josh, um, considering the fact that he's living the full Sacramento Kings experience. It's sad, man. <laughs> Josh yeah, is speechless. Yeah. That's all you got. <laughs> in the doldrums uh, of, you know, of the basement and the NBA in the Kings case. Uh, sorry, before we continue, I just want to hit the Kings real quick. It's not on the rundown, but I was so, like, optimistic about this team even, like, sniffing the play-in tournament. But, dude, they're five and a half games back. Why? I just figured Sabonis (laughs) would be able to, like, somewhat carry them there. But how are you so much worse than the Blazers who don't have any real NBA players? And the Spurs who, like, have one. You know? Like, what, what is this? How is this team so awful? Jesus. Have you seen their roster? It doesn't matter they got some bonus. The rest of their roster is so bad. Have you seen the Trailblazers roster? Name me their starting yeah, five Yeah, but the Blazers right were up like five or six games on them by the trade deadline. And they've lost a ton of games. And they're they're trying to tank so hard. And somehow they still beat your Pistons <laughs> last game despite seeing Josh Hart. Josh, name me their, their active starting five right now. I guarantee you cannot. What, the Blazers? No, the probably Blazers. not. Uh, there's some guy named Ellaby. There's uh, <laughs> Justice Winslow. The Eubanks dude who Toronto cut. Oh. Um, that guy you picked ball. up in fantasy who played one good game. Oh, Brandon Goodwin. <laughs> yeah, that's the guy. Yeah. And I'm missing one guy. <laughs> yes, exactly my point. And we're, you're talking to people who watch this shit like every night. That's anyways, my whole point is that the Sacramento Kings suck. I'm I feel all for, for buying into it, but yeah, the, the colors are just too good, man. How can you go against a purple and black? <laughs> Formerly the Toronto Raptors colors of the purple, you know? They need to bring back those jerseys that Chris Weber and, you know, Mike Bibby and Jay Will were wearing back in the two thousand twos and then maybe they have a shot at the playoffs next year, you never know. Yeah, you remember for like a good year and a half there was that fad where jerseys would like be split down the middle, so one side was like the home colors, and then one side was oh. the away colors. Yeah, those are sick. They're painful for the eyes, though. You're like, what am I watching? It's like someone had a jersey <laughs> that was cut in half and like one size down, and they mended it together. Like, uh, I'm happy they moved on from that trend, uh, but it wasn't as bad as the jerseys. Oh my god! Can you believe <laughs> that LeBron won a championship in one of those? <laughs> oh disgusting my goodness 
let's let's talk about something that doesn't get talked about nearly as much as LeBron James. And let's move on down to Phoenix, guys, because the Phoenix Suns are still sitting at the top of the league at 58 and 14 as of recording. Eight and two in their last ten, one five straight. Uh, the best positive differential in the league at 8.4 net rating. And they've been playing without their point guard, Chris Paul, since before the All-Star break, right? Like, I think he hurt his hand the game before. All in all, this team has gone through injuries to basically every starter, other than Mikael Bridges. I think he's the only one that hasn't been hurt. And somehow, some way, they just keep winning. Like, I swear, there was a game last week where Crowder got hurt, Booker was not playing... Aiton got hurt during the game. Uh, Campaign was hurt. Chris Paul is obviously out. So you were relying on guys like Bridges, Torrey Craig, and Bismack Biombo to win this game. And they still did. Uh, I don't really understand how they're doing it other than continuity. Like, Josh, is there something that something I'm missing with this team? Because they just seem to not be able to miss. Their defense is on point, and it just flows so well. They just know exactly who they are and what they're doing, and it doesn't really matter. I mean, they're the new Spurs. I mean, I talked about Toronto potentially being the new Spurs in terms of being able to bring anybody in and fitting them in the system, but the Suns have done that, plus they've actually like acquired some pretty good players, even as third stringers, like a guy like Aaron Holiday being a third-string point guard. And, you know, Alfred Payton, he sucks, but he's a fourth stringer, <laughs> right? So if you have to play him a few minutes in the regular season... And he's a pretty good defensive player, so you can play him for like 10, 15 minutes. He's not going to kill you against bad teams. Um, but yeah, I mean, they have like JaVel McGee. They have Bismack Biombo has come in and been a revelation. He was a 20-10 and 10 guy for like five straight games earlier in the season because Chris Paul made him that. But he's actually able to catch the ball somehow. I think that's the biggest shocker so far for the Suns this regular season is that they've taught Bismack Biombo how to catch a basketball. That's quite impressive to me. It's very impressive. That might be the highlight of the season. For Chris Paul, at least. Yeah, fuck well, winning for a sure. championship. And, um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, in terms of their roster, though, I think they probably have the deepest roster in the NBA right now, right? I mean, this offseason, they're going to have some decisions to make in terms of Aiton and Cam Johnson. But as of right now, since they haven't paid them their first big contracts yet, they're able to get all these different players uh, coming off their bench. And guys that can play in limited starting roles as well. Um, you know, Torrey Craig hit 15 straight field goals over the course of two straight games um, about, uh, I think it was about a week ago. Wait, wait, wait. is that actually it, true? Yeah. That is actually true, yes. He went, I think, 9 for 9 in one game and then 6 for 6 up to, I think, the second quarter of the third game. Torrey Craig. So he went 15 for 15. Yep. Torrey Craig, who missed like a wide open layup in game 7 in the bubble. Against the Jazz. That Tory Craig, who has like no control of his hands or his any breaks when he runs. <laughs> Once again, the Suns are very good at Whoa. making sure guys can catch the ball. It, that's incredible. <laughs> that's actually insane. That might be the craziest thing I've ever heard. I've never heard of, uh, I don't know, what is he, like an eighth, ninth man being that hot? And that's insane. And you always hear about teams that need these 6'7 to 6'9 guys that can play really good defense and shoot a little bit. And they got him for nothing. Yeah. And he fit their system perfectly last year, which is sort of a surprise why they let him go. 
Um, but, you know, they acquired him back. He fits seamlessly. And going back to the whole role definition thing, I mean, the Suns just put these guys in situations where they ask them to do one or two things or two to three things and just keep the ball rolling along, especially in offense. And with Craig, he's filling in the Jake Crowder role, right? And all he has to do is either catch on the wing and shoot threes or cut to the basket on offense and catch and finish. They make it simple. They make it a very simple system for everyone coming in so everyone knows exactly what they have to do. And the only guy that's sort of branching out of his role now is Aiton. He's not just a catch-and-finish guy. He's actually catching the ball in the post and making a couple moves and diversifying his game a little bit. And he's been pretty dominant over the last 10 games. Yeah, this Suns team, like Josh mentioned, it's just about having your roles and being able to execute. And once you have a defined role, you're able to get those reps in. You get similar looks at the basket. You know where your teammates are going to be. And again, like Josh mentioned, this team has players that could give you a few minutes in the playoffs if there was an injury. Um, it's not like they're too reliant on one specific position. Obviously, if they don't have Chris Paul, I think their chances of making a deep, deep playoff run are hurt a lot. But like they have depth in all the, the positions. They have players that have played in the regular season. They have a lot of continuity, as you mentioned, Peter. So this is the most dangerous team in the West. And now the Warriors kind of look a bit disheveled with Steph's injury. Draymond out, was out for a while. Uh, the Jazz always have their question marks. The Grizzlies are young. Like, There's a lot of question marks in the West, so this is the Suns conference this year. I think uh, going into the playoffs, unless there's any major injury, it's theirs to lose. How important is it that Devin Booker is taking on like lead guard roles on this team too, right? From a guy who dropped 70 and like a, not a blowout loss, but like a, a pretty bad loss a few years ago in Boston, now to... A guy who's going to sort of lead his team to the finals again, hopefully, right? Who led his team last year to the finals along with Chris Paul. But a guy who's sort of learned to be beyond just like a shooting guard, right? Like he's he's creating more for his team. He's actually playing good defense. It's something more that, or it's something more than just like him dropping buckets on you every game. If you can facilitate and actually get your guys involved, like we've been talking about, getting guys like Bismack Biombo and JaVale McGee the Rock in their optimal positions, it makes your team so much more uh, dangerous, right? Like it makes them a real contender rather than a team that has to rely on Chris Paul or a campaign to create offense for you. So it's it's interesting to see. I don't know. I'm... I think we're all pretty high on Phoenix, right? Did any of you, did either of you have Phoenix coming out of the West at the beginning of the year? I don't remember. Or were you uh, I'm sure drinking I on some did. jazz Kool-Aid? Huh? No, no. I'm sure I probably did because, you know, I predicted the Suns to be a top three seed last year and you guys laughed me out of the building, even though I was right. And, uh, you know, this year they should make the finals at least. Right. And in the Eastern Conference, we really have no idea who's going to come out of the East, obviously, even though I still think the Bucks are the favorite. And I think that's probably the matchup we're going to end up getting is the Bucks versus the Suns in the finals. Um, but in terms of Booker, the most underutilized, I mean, under talked about story, I think, with a lot of these teams that are grooming young guards, especially shooting guards or small forwards, is just letting them handle the ball and handle like the point guard responsibilities. Um, early in their careers. So you can look back on like Zach Levine, yeah. Devin Booker, what Toronto's doing now with Barnes. 
Like, it's really important that they take over point guard duties to improve their handles and see how they have to run pick and rolls and get experience in that and learn the intricacies of how to run an NBA offense. So when it's time for them to finally take over as the guy, they have some experience and they're not going to be deer in the headlights. But you also, like, if you're doing that, you also run the risk of the guy just going rogue and wanting to shoot every possession, right? If you let a guy like Booker or Levine just run run as, like, lead guard the whole time, right? You also run the risk of them just going into hero mode every possession. So how do you, you know, how do you prevent those guys from turning into someone like AI was for the 76ers? You know what I mean, Josh? Like, just a complete, I don't want to say chucker, but, like, he's a, AI was a chucker. It is what it is. <laughs> Like someone who just wants to get up buckets. How do you prevent that if you're trying to train like someone who's so used to scoring to be a point guard at the same time? I mean, it comes down to coaching, right? You got to have the right coach in place. And obviously, Monty Williams has been that for Phoenix. And you have to have strong leadership. So in this scenario, I mean, Phoenix is in win-now mode having Chris Paul. But if they didn't have Chris Paul and they just gave the ball to Devin Booker, would he be as good as he is right now? Probably not, right? You still need veteran presence and obviously really good coaching around you in order to have people above the superstar player that they'll actually listen to. You need somebody to actually get in their ear who they respect and will listen to. It's not like back in 2004 where there was a bunch of like 40-year-old guys who couldn't play on the bench where the coaches (laughs) expected their star players to listen to these dudes. Like I remember back when, um, you know, Toronto was really, really bad. And he had Michael Curry on the bench trying to Ooh. tell Vince Carter what to do. It's like, that's never going to work. It just doesn't work. And nowadays, like, you barely have any veteran presence around um, these star guys. So you need, like, a really good veteran player who's still playing and still getting major minutes to be that guy who's in the ear of the up-and-coming star player. Yeah, and just to add to Josh. Sort of like DeMar and Zach Levine right now. Same idea. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think just to add to Josh's point as well. Uh, a lot of the players that Josh mentioned, they're not expected to have the primary ball handling responsibilities in terms of their position. Like a lot of them are shooting guards, small forwards, and you want them to get those reps to be comfortable handling, running the offense, um, because later on in their career, there may be stretches of games, certain matchups you want them to do that. And I think ultimately, like Josh mentioned, you need to have veteran leadership and you also need to remember that the result is winning. Like, you can let them grow into that role, but not at the expense of just putting up numbers. I think the Bulls, before they ended up uh, making some big offseason trans, uh, transactions, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it this pod, Levine was not heading in that direction. But if he didn't get some more veteran players around, a bit more um, like win winning mentality around that organization, he probably would have had a career like, AI did obviously I went to the finals and had a lot of success but he could have had that label as a chucker or someone who was a maybe not the most efficient scorer um so I think it all ultimately comes down to organization leadership and um and ultimately winning like winning is the focus but growing at the same time he could have been De'Aaron Fox it is De'Aaron Fox yeah, Darren Fox is like the the prototypical right now, at least. He's the first example that will come to my mind. Yeah, but in in, in Darren Fox's defense, like he is the guard, like he is supposed to handle the ball. He doesn't have to chuck, but 
If it's between him and Davion Mitchell taking the shots, I'd probably want him <laughs> to take the shots. Yeah, I think yeah. if you put a guy like Fox in, into a system of a, a decent team with good coaching, I think you'd see his game take off. I think he really is that talented. And it's just not going to work in Sacramento. Like, they're going to have to do a full blow-up whenever ownership finally accepts that this team is absolute garbage and stop staying in, like, the 6-12 to 12 lottery range, which they clearly can't draft out of. Because all the selections they've made have been really bad overall, except for a few. Other than Halliburton. And Cousins. Oh, DeMarcus, man. Low-key, hold on. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins. What could have been? What could have been? DeMarcus Cousins fitting in Denver really well right now. I'm just saying, man. I love love watching DeMarcus Cousins back on the court. It feels good. Even though he's not the same explosive player, but my goodness, he's still fun to watch. And, you know, going back to what we just talked about with, you know, Devin Booker, Zach Levine, Scotty Barnes. Like, imagine if Bookie Cousins went to a team that had good leadership and ownership and and coaching that all came together and had one complete goal of just winning and actually knew how to run an organization instead of having, you know, Michael Malone saying one thing and the guy above him, I think it was uh, D'Alessandro or whatever his name was, saying yeah. another and them just not working together and thus the roster not working together, right? Like imagine if Boogie Cousins went to a team that actually knew what they were doing. Is He probably would have made like $400 million plus. And who knows with the injury stuff, obviously, but he was one of the best centers in the NBA. He's put up crazy numbers. And, you know, once, uh, once the injuries hit, his career was, you know, not over, but he's now like a 10-day, you know, somewhat permanent contract role player. But... If he went to a team where they actually knew what they were doing, he might have been the best center in the NBA at one point. Well, I think he was, but that's when the NBA centers were not very good. No, but he never played any defense, though, right? Like, imagine he went to a team that, like, told him to get his ass in shape, first of all. And second of all, he showed him how to play defensive coverages. Like, I think Cat's going through that right now, where he was seen as, like, a loser, obviously, for all these years. And then this year, he has a good coach. And his ownership is backing up the coach. And they've brought in guys like Beverly to change the culture around that team. And look at Carl Anthony Towns now. He's seen as like probably second team All-NBA, all right? Above Ooh, Gobert. That's actually the perfect transition to where I wanted to go with this too. Because we wanted to look at teams that have made changes, right? So teams that made changes over the summer at the trade deadline that actually really affected them. And low-key, the Minnesota Timberwolves have somehow skyrocketed their defense into something that's, like, top tier, right? Like, their defense behind Patrick Beverly's leadership is, like, top five, top ten. But more so than that, they have, like, an actual identity now. They actually have guys that are willing to, like, get their hands dirty. And you would have never said that about Cat before, or D'Angelo Russell before. Anthony Edwards, yeah, the guy's, like, he's probably the cockiest player in the league, so obviously he's going to get his hands dirty. But the Timberwolves are like are playing like a real team right now. They're gonna have a positive uh winning season for the first time in since what? That one year that Jimmy Butler brought them to the playoffs. Before that it was since KG was there in like oh seven? Oh six? Like the Timberwolves are actually a story that we should mildly talk about as like a real contender. Like the other day, 
uh, in that game against eh, Dallas. Eh, Not right, a contender. Relax, contender. Yeah, yeah, Real yeah. contender? No. Yeah, you, okay, no. fine. That was a little bit of hyperbole, <laughs> but at least like a team that's actually fun to watch and can actually put up a fight against real teams. Like imagine a, a, uh, a series of Memphis and Minnesota right now. I would tune into every game. Like without question, I would watch every game for both sides, not just like because I want to see Jaw. You know what I mean? I'm in on this Minnesota team, at least for that, at least to be a fun first round team. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna talk about Minnesota just because I'm a big Ant fan. I think he's gonna be one of the elite uh, two guards for the next five, ten years, barring any catastrophic injuries. Um, I, th- I think this team has. Obviously, we talked about Cat taking a step up this year, D'Angelo Russell being healthy, and then bringing in the veteran leadership of Patrick v- Beverly. It's definitely changed the culture, but. I think the big thing with them is they finally had some level of continuity. Like uh, this was probably the first year um, where none of their top two or three guys were in big trade speculation or not out injured. Obviously, D'Angelo Russell was in and out of the lineup in the beginning of the season. Um, But playing together is a huge part of having success. And on top of that, their team is just, they're not deep in the sense that like they don't have their eight, nine, ten guys are not going to be playing big minutes, but the players that are playing know their role and they have a style that they try to win in. And again, Katz elevated his game, Ants elevated his game, D'Angelo's on the court. So just with that, those three players, you have a chance of winning a lot of basketball games. But I don't think they're going anywhere in the playoffs, but they're fun to watch. Yeah, and it's their defense that has really been the big surprise because you know, they started off la- or this year, you know, as a really high defensive rating um, in terms of, you know, they have like, they have a really good starting five and their net rating was, I think, the best in the NBA for a while. But their continuity was really good on defensively as well. And they're one of the only teams in the NBA that really brings their big man all the way up and often traps the ball. Like, that's the one thing that stood out in the game against the Mavericks, even though they lost that game. They were just trapping Luka, you know, 30 feet from the basket because they didn't want to have to switch Cat on them or play drop defense where Luka would have killed them. So they can play a bunch of different styles, but they're one of the rare teams that actually brings the big all the way up. And they're able to do that because Cat has got such good stamina and he's able to um, come out and basically do that every single play, which is really hard on the big guy. Um, Jokic did that last year, and I guess it kept his energy up throughout the regular season games. But... You know, as the playoffs roll around, they might want to think about potentially um, giving Cat a break, not having to do that as much in the last few regular season games. So right now, the Timberwolves have uh, the number six offensive rating and the number eleven defensive rating, and they're like point two behind the the Seventy Sixers, who are obviously going to fall off because you know they're the Seventy Sixers and James Harden sucks. So the Timberwolves could be top ten in both. And uh, like a common narrative that we have with like contending teams is you got to be top 10 in both defense and offense to have a real chance at a title, right? Obviously, I'm not saying the Timberwolves are going to make it anywhere. They're going to have to beat either like the Grizzlies or... Yeah, mostly the Grizzlies. I don't see Golden State getting like getting there, but... I mean, if... Okay, hold on. If the Timberwolves go against the Warriors in the first round, are we sure that the Warriors would win that? Oh, come on. Are we? Relax. 
I, I mean, it depends if Curry plays or not, because when Curry doesn't play, they are absolute garbage. They're trash. And then, yeah, and Draymond Green goes back to being the guy that he was, what was it, last year or the year before? I think it was the year before. Yeah. Where he just can't really do anything unless he's in a four-on-three scenario, <laughs> and he looks like a complete pumpkin on offense. I mean, defensively, he's obviously great still, but they just don't have enough without Curry, even to beat the Orlando Magic yesterday. So if Curry's not right come the first round, I mean, they might win a couple games against them. I can't really see them winning the series, though. Yeah, and again, just with the Timberwolves, um, D'Angelo Russell doesn't have a great playoff record, um, and they're just a very inexperienced Well, team. he was only in one playoff series, wasn't he? Yeah, but exactly. Like, you, you can't rely. I'm going to go on to the next point. Like, Ant hasn't had any playoff experience. Cat had, what, one playoff series he's been in? Um, mm-hmm. And they got beat out by the Rockets, I believe, in four or five games, four games, pretty pretty handedly. Um, five. So, five. Okay, I, I do remember uh, that was the year the Rockets were supposed to win the championship, like so many years. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. But, so yeah, that's pretty good. But, yeah, like the, the Timberwolves just don't have that experience, and I'm not saying that that's going to be the only reason they're going to lose. I think ultimately they're not as deep. Um, I think... Their style of play, like ultimately on offense, I think it's harder to get baskets. And I, I do think they play quite a quick pace in terms of offensive rating. And I think in the playoffs, the, the pace slows down. So more half court sets. And I'm not sure, actually, I would love to know how good they are in half court offense. But uh, overall, I think um, the, the Warriors are just a better team when healthy. Yeah, and the Timberwolves' biggest problem is late in games. They get very, very stagnant. It's a lot of your turn, my turn stuff. And a lot of the time, the your turn, my turn stuff turns into D'Angelo Russell taking over instead of Ant Ant or Carl Anthony Towns. But even still, Ant takes a lot of bad shots on offense still. Like, he still hasn't completely figured it out. I think in two years from now, as long as they keep their core as an Ant and Cat together, and they can keep some of these defensive guys like McDaniels and Vanderbilt around these dudes... I think that they have something here that they can really build on. Um, the Russell thing, I, I don't think they should be extending him this offseason, oh, even though sure. he's been a key contributor. And he's often their defensive anchor, like yelling out coverages on defense, which is something that has never happened before. But Coach Finch is uh, very creative, like Nick Nurse, you know, since he was on his roster before. And he's obviously taught him a few things and, you know, making sure that I think putting D'Angelo Russell in the leadership role on defense was really smart because he doesn't have a defensive reputation, right? So in previous years, he was the Draymond Green on on offense for defense, right? So he was basically a complete pumpkin on defense. And just telling D'Angelo Russell, you're now in charge of this, <laughs> puts him in a better mind frame. So he's actually more energetic and excited about being the guy on defense and yelling out these coverages, being the guy who was like the Kyle Lowry, where he just tries to take charges every possession. And he gets his energy in the right place for defense, which is really smart, in my opinion. Crazy enough, just a quick stat about the Timberwolves. They're number one in pace. You get them up, man. Yeah. So, again, in in the playoffs, the pace plays less of a factor, so... I think that's my main concern. I would love to know what their half-court offense is. I'm trying to pull up that stat, like where they rank in terms of half-court efficiency. But 
I'll, their uh, clutch offense is not good. So I think their problem in the playoffs is going to be clutch offense. I don't think it's going to be defense. I think defensively they're actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, but offensively, you're going to see a lot of stagnation and Cat not getting the ball. And that's going to be a main talking point for them um, come the off season, which I think ultimately will lead to them making a change from D'Angelo Russell to something else. <laughs> mm. Ew. Yes, um, yes. No, nah, man. Screw that. If Minnesota somehow makes it to the sixth seed, which they very well could, and play against the Warriors, I'm taking the Timberwolves in that series. Oh, wow. Calling it out. Wow. I don't believe in the Warriors, man. Insane. The Lots Warriors of are frauds. There. Lots of ifs. The Warriors are frauds. Just watch. Clay's not the same player that he used to be. And he, Clay is chucking up way too much for what he actually is right now. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't see it. They, I think yeah, they I mean, the Warriors have on. a lot to figure out still, but I just can't see them losing to the Timberwolves unless Curry just doesn't play at all. I mean, if that even happens, if, then... Even if Curry plays, like... Even if he plays, I don't think either he's oh, going to wow. be hobbled. He Like, even if he plays, like, 70-80%, he's not going to be the same. Draymond is... Uh, so is nothing on offense. Obviously, defensively, we already talked about how good he is. And other than that, the Warriors don't really have much depth. You're going to rely on Otto Porter and Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole has as little playoff experience as anyone on the on the Timberwolves. Otto Porter. Andrew Wiggins. That's how I feel about Otto Porter. NBA All-Star starter, Andrew Wiggins. Don't disrespect. Yeah, the Timberwolves are going to have a revenge series on Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> Just watch. <laughs> Actually, you usually I think mean, it's the other way around. Note, it's, it's usually the opposite. Andrew Wiggins gets up for these games. Yeah, you would think that only against Cleveland, though, not against Minnesota. <laughs> no, he's done against Minnesota, too. Cleveland's mm. a lot worse because, like, he used to give LeBron, like, 34 every single time he saw him. <laughs> <laughs> but he's had some games against Minnesota, too. Wiggins a petty-ass dude, man. Uh, let's move on. Mm-hmm. Let's go to Brooklyn. I want to talk about this team because... Obviously, there has been a lot of movement. James Harden is now gone. They brought in Seth Curry, Andre Drummond. Uh, they got rid of Paul Millsap's corpse, which is just excellent in my opinion. Obviously, they still have Kyrie, who plays in half the games. We don't really know where that's going to stand. And the biggest question, in my opinion, about this team is Ben Simmons. Still haven't seen him on the court. Dude showed up in Philadelphia, wore uh, a Louis Vuitton jersey shirt thing, which was kind of strange. Wave to the crowd, even though they booed him, and then nothing. We haven't heard about him ever since. He sits on the bench, talks to the guys, and apparently in this past week, he got an epidural into his back, which leads me to believe that this back injury is more than we thought it would be, right? Raj, at the trade deadline, we were saying how Ben Simmons is soft mentally. He just needs to like get his body right, get his mind right, and then he'll be back on the court. But what is the epidural like signify to you about how serious his back injury is yeah so most people when they hear epidural they think of women getting an epidural during labor and this is the same location but it's a different type of actual medication they give and when you get an epidural when you're giving birth it's a numbing agent so you the nerves that you normally have sensation and like motor function with they become numb and uh, you don't have like uh, ability to feel things in your legs or to like move your legs or below a certain point. The epidural when you get um, when you're having this type of injury, which you have in his case, a herniated disc is a steroid injection. The same way you get a steroid injection in your knee. The whole point of getting the steroid injection is to lower the inflammation and you're doing it 
right by the area which is inflamed. And generally for people, if they have their first herniated disc, uh, it can provide a lot of relief. The only issue is um, if you're really able to get it in the area which is causing the pain. But I'm sure uh, him with a lot of finances and uh, top doctors, they're able to take care of that. And usually it offers really good pain relief. The issue is if it's a reoccurrent herniated disc, the inflammation is already there and it's already started. So it doesn't really remove it. It just slows down any future inflammation. So uh, I think this has been a problem of his for uh, apparently in the in the past he's had this issue. And um, if he gets the epidural most of the time, if successful, it gives you good pain relief for four to six months. Um, and uh, it usually takes around like a week or so to have a good effect. And ultimately getting back to Ben Simmons, because obviously he was the big piece, not Seth Curry or Andre Drummond to our own surprise in this trade. Um, if he's not able to get like five games under his belt um, before the playoffs, I don't think you can expect his impact to be um, like he, he may have an impact, but I don't think you can expect him to play starter minutes. Like it's, it's just not how um, performing at a professional level works. Can't really, very few players can not have any regular season, not really have much training and then play in playoff intensity basketball for 30, 35 minutes a game. Like that's not going to be what the Sixers or what, sorry, the Nets want. And there's also a risk of aggravating that injury. So it looks like uh, he, he might not have a big impact this year. Damn, I did not expect that. That's a that's a shame. How how far can we really expect the Nets to go then if like if they're fully reliant on Kevin Durant and who knows how much Kyrie they're gonna get out of this, right? Like if New York doesn't lift their their vaccine mandate, then Kyrie can be still looking at playing half the games, right? So that might be tough. I mean, how much can Kevin Durant shoulder on his own? So, in terms of Ben Simmons, just quickly, I, I don't understand why everyone's still talking about him. He's not going to play this year. I see him and his situation the exact same thing as I see Zion. Like, it's been an entire season now. He's shown no progress, and he's not even practicing with the team, and there's 10 games left in the season. If he doesn't play any regular season games, there's no way this guy who was afraid to catch the ball in the playoffs was going, is going to come back and play in the play-in tournament and then play in the playoffs with no experience with his teammates, no practice time, no nothing, and because he's a scared little bitch. So that's just not going to happen. Ben Simmons is okay. not coming back. So that's first. And then secondly, um, in terms of the Nets, um, one thing that I heard recently is that the Yankee season is coming up, right? So that's going to be, I think, on April 6th, which is almost around the exact same time as when the playoffs start for the NBA. And mm-hmm. the Yankees have a notable player, their star player on the team, who has not confirmed that he is vaccinated, and Aaron Judge. And if that continues, because the Yankees are New York's team besides the Knicks, I mean, they might be on an even playing level, who knows? They're around the same, right? So if you have a team that's, you know, the team in that city, especially in New York, and their star player is unable to play... Who's to say the mayor doesn't change the rules on April 6th, allowing Kyrie to play in the playoffs thereafter? So I could definitely see that being a thing since, you know, if if Kyrie was on the Knicks, I think the rule might have changed already, right? That's a definite possibility. I love how Josh is uh, changing his stance because I called that 
Kyrie will not be impacted by the vaccine mandate come playoff time. And I called that probably back in February, probably mid-February, and Josh was laughing at me and um, saying that I'm going to be taking that to the grave with me. And uh, uh, thank you, Josh. (laughs) Thank you, Josh, for agreeing with me. That's because there was no proof at the time or nothing. That's why you make predictions. Potentially. There's nothing concrete about any prediction. You can't be like the I prediction mean, is concrete. There's no guarantee it's, it's still going to happen. But, you know, based on the timeline that I just laid out and the Yankees being New York's team, I could definitely see them making a change and saying it's completely something different, being like, oh, yeah, the uh, the COVID uh, vaccinations are high. There's not a lot of, you know, spread among the community now. We're just going to change it right as the Yankees season starts. Sure. But, okay. You know, going Thank back you, to the Nets themselves, let's actually say <laughs> – Sure. Let's just say that, um, you know, Kyrie is actually healthy and he's playing in the playoffs with Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. I mean, which matchup do you actually see where they wouldn't make it out of the first round if everyone on their team, besides Ben Simmons, who's not going to play, is healthy? I think the only team they're really afraid of, maybe two, is Milwaukee and then Boston, maybe. Oh, Boston's going to lock their ass up. They do not want to. They don't want any of that Boston smoke, man. Other than KD and Kyrie, might is gonna have a revenge series, but nah, nah. You don't want that smoke with Boston, man. I guarantee it. They don't want that smoke. I think that'll be a long series, though. I mean, Brooklyn blew the doors off them last year, having those three guys playing together. Obviously, with Harden, um, this year's gonna be different, obviously. But um, you know, Brooklyn is small, though. That's the only thing in the backcourt. And Boston's obviously huge, having Marcus Smart at 6'4", starting a point guard. Then you got Jalen Brown and uh, Jason Tatum. So that's not a great matchup, but Brooklyn has KD, who's the best player in the world still. So I don't know. It's going to be a tough series if that actually happens. Yeah. Ultimately, I think the Nets, the only team they don't want to play is the Bucks. I think that's like uh, pretty, like, I think we can all agree that would be the number one team. There might be some debate if they would want to play the Celtics, but ultimately it's going to come down to if Kyrie plays and if they perform, because if, if they, if first, if Kyrie plays and if both of those players perform at, let's say their average to like slightly above average level, they have a shot against every team, not even a shot there. They should almost be the favorites against every team. Yeah. I would still take Brooklyn over Miami just because of KD and Kyrie. I'd easily take them over to Philadelphia because we know Philadelphia is soft with James Harden leading the way here. And, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I still don't Actually, think they want Boston, man. Boston, I think I'm I'm high on Boston. It might just be because they're, like, stupidly hot right now since, well, like, basically since the new year. But, yeah, I'm, I'm much higher on Boston than I am on most teams in the East, other than the Bucks, basically. I, I think this is a big year for Jason Tatum. Um, I think... This is the year probably where if he doesn't make some of or if they continue to have uh, the same issues they had in the past years, especially in the playoffs of kind of the star players chucking and taking up all the shots and not having a good offensive flow, then this falls squarely on their shoulders like uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So it's a big year for both those players. Um, One team that I think we talked about earlier and now kind of looking back at just what we had spoke about the Bulls. Um, I think the Bulls are a first-round exit team. Um, like, there's only a few matchups I could see them actually being the favorites or having a good chance. And 
that being the Cavs or the Raptors, and I don't even think they end up playing either of those because those no. both those teams seem to be in the lower half of the uh the Eastern Conference, like in the lower half of the playoff picture. So the Bulls are not um gonna beat the Bucks or the Heat or the Nets if they ever end up playing each other or the Celtics. And um it looks like this team despite their great playoff or despite their great regular season, they're gonna have a limited success in the playoffs. Too many question marks. I mean, the most worrying thing besides them being like 0-16, which everyone knows against the top teams in both conferences, <laughs> it's how they're losing to those teams, right? Yeah. Like, they're not even competitive in a lot of these games. I mean, they're on a back-to-back yesterday, so I guess you can excuse a little bit of that, but Milwaukee didn't have Chris Middleton playing yesterday. And if you just look through like all the games that they played against these teams, they're getting killed in a lot of them. And, you know, they've missed a few of their players. Like, in the games where Caruso and Lonzo don't play, I'm not even sure you can count those, honestly. But they have Patrick Williams back at least. But, you know, going into next season, if they are a first-round-and-out team, which a lot of people predicted before the season started, um, you really have to look at what they can really do with this roster and how much better they can really get. Like, will DeMar DeRozan play as well as he did this year next year? He might be at least, like, 90% of it, sure. But then you got to worry about Lonzo then. Is he going to stay healthy next year? Because he's never healthy. That's one thing that nobody talked about when he was a free agent. You know, he's a really good player when he plays, but he plays like 55 games every year, and he always gets injured. So they might have to look into maybe even trading him. Who knows? Does he have that bad of an injury history, Lonzo? Yeah, his knees. I believe his... so. I think he was healthy one year where he played 70 plus games, but um, oh, overall, God. he's had some knee injuries. Knee and, and ankle. Uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a good sign. Ooh, okay. So I'm looking at his basketball reference, and uh, this is his fifth year, right? So he's played 52, 47, 63, which was the bubble year. So that's his healthy year. And then 55 last year. This year, he's at 35 games. That's rough. I didn't even realize it was that bad. That's five straight, or I guess four out of five years of uh, injuries, right? Yeah. For and like, knees and ankles? That's that's bad. And like, uh, just the comment on his, like, his game. Um, it's not that he plays overtly athletic, which is kind of something you worry about. And uh, also, like, the fact that he's had so many knee injuries it seems like he will have this reoccurring issue of inflammation and his career ultimately might get a bit shortened or um, limited by injuries. Cause again, four years of injuries while you're that young, it's uh, it's worrisome. I sort of disagree that he doesn't play athletic though, because he's one of those like really high energy guys, especially on defense where he's just flying around. He's pivoting a lot. He's hop stepping. He's, he has a lot of movement in his game, and he's very quick. So it's a different kind of athletic. He's not like... I mean, he is jumping a lot, too. And he has like those little alley-oops, alley-oop plays and trying to block shots and such. But, you know, defensively, when you're trying that hard every game and you're moving as much as he does, like he probably runs more than most people that, you know, play in the NBA when he actually does play, if you look at, like, um, second-spectrum data, where it shows, um, you know, how many miles these guys run throughout a game. I'm pretty sure that he would be at the top of the top based on how much he and Caruso run around on defense covering for people. 
<laughs> so maybe he has to just adjust his defensive style, not try as hard in the regular season, honestly. Mm-hmm. That could be an option. But again, the, the, the Bulls made some good moves. I think they have a clear progression. Like they took the other next step in terms of their franchise. Um, they're they're being talked about. They're they were fun to watch when they had all their players healthy. Um, they probably the fastest out of the gate. Um, have some crowd favorites in Caruso and DeRozan now. DeRozan had some great game winners. Like they had some good moves. Like I don't think I'm gonna fault and like their front office for making any of the moves. It just seems like their ceiling is not a, like a NBA Eastern Conference Finals team based off of what the other teams are doing. And uh, their floor isn't bad, but their ceiling is limited. So they have this like kind of window where if they don't make any big changes in their roster construction, they could be a team that falls between the three and seven seed every year and is a first round exit, maybe a second round. But uh, it just seems like they're lacking a little in some department. And again, this offseason will be big if they extend or not extend if they trade Alonzo or if they try to get another piece. But they just don't have that that other piece that they need. They're going to be locked into their team once they extend Levine because I'm assuming they're going to give them that big max contract. Mm-hmm. And obviously they have Vucevic for another two years, I believe. So you're basically locked into your team for the next at least two years, you would think. And if they stay healthy, like could they win a round or two next year? Probably. And I think that internal development is going to be huge for them because... You know, we saw Patrick Williams as we sort of, like in his first year, on the same development trajectory before the season started anyway as like a guy like Scotty Barnes, right? Where you think this guy is going to be like a big wing that can do a lot of different things and then hopefully he grows into the type of player that's like a Jimmy Butler type, right? So if he eventually becomes that type of player and he becomes the third option instead of the fifth option, then you got something there. So if he actually like develops into a really good player... That's the only way where they're going to go from first-round exit for sure into a team that's contender. It's going to be based on his development. I mean, it's still early with this set, right? Like, this is the first team, the first year, sorry, that they've had DeMar, that they've had Lonzo, Caruso, I guess half year of Vucevic last year. So, I mean, this this team like itself is still very new together. And I'd like to remind you both, that you both had them at the bottom or near the bottom of the conference before the season started. And I told you they would be a playoff team. I didn't think their defense would be good, as good as it has been. But I told you they would be a playoff team behind DeMar and Zach Levine. I'm just saying, I was there. I uh, forgot that DeMar run. Well done, Peter. You got one right. <laughs> it makes up for my Sacramento Kings love. Someday the Kings are going to make the playoffs, and I'm going to laugh at you guys, man. Someday. Yeah, you'll be right the one year out of the last 24. <laughs> 24, yeah. It's like being a Timberwolves fan, man. The one time that you, it works for you, you just got to gotta shake off the haters. It's kind of like being a Raptors fan. Except they're good what? now. But I meant like the Raptors until 2019, you know? Like no, before the Raptors won. When they were always getting crushed by LeBron in the playoffs. <laughs> At least they made the playoffs. So look at the Kings. The Kings haven't made the playoffs yeah. in, what, 15 years? The, the thing, too, is the Raptors at least had hope every year. Like, they tried to make some small they, adjustments. Yeah, they had hope. They had hope that, year, that LeBron that got... Year. They, they had hope remember LeBron that, got injured. What was, <laughs> that was, that? was it, like, 2016 when uh, the Raptors and Cavs played? The Cavs won two at home and the Raptors won two. And they're like, yo, 
Toronto just pulled off two at home, man. This is it. Two big blowouts. We're going to make it. And then LeBron just, like, pissed all over Toronto. That was fun. Hope. Yeah, I remember us going to a restaurant in Barhaven and uh, watching that game, and it was quite depressing. <laughs> <laughs> LeBron was doing that thing where he, like, spun the ball in his hands before shooting, like the ultimate signs of disrespect on a team. Oh, Yeah, against Surge. Oh, man, that... I hate LeBron, but whenever he does that kind of stuff, it's actually really fun to watch. When LeBron's on, man, he's on. Uh, speaking of, do we want to talk about the awful Lakers real quick? or No. 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 I, I wouldn't Can mind. Can I just I say mind. that... Uh, I think, Raj, you and I said this during the offseason when they traded for Russell Westbrook, that I'm pretty sure LeBron wanted this team to tank. Like, I swear he wanted this team to be so awful so he could pad his own stats. I don't think so. Yeah, so he can get the scoring record. (laughs) Yeah, I think LeBron's like... Because you know how we always say that LeBron's maniacal. He plans out every little thing that he does. Basically, since he was like a rookie, right? He's planned every little move. He's planned every little thing that he said. I think this is part of it. No one wants to talk about that, but I think LeBron was like scheming way before. I I don't think so. You know what he said in the post game after last game? What? He said that he's having the time of his life. And I think that somebody must have told him that he's now the scoring leader in the NBA. Because that could be the only reason why he would ever say that. Like, as a guy who's, like, maniacal, allegedly, about winning, why would you ever say that when your team's, like, 15 games under 500? Uh, Because uh, they're 10 games under, by the way, not 15. Well, it feels like 15. (laughs) But I think the LeBron has... He's never going to point a fault on himself. And if he does, he does it in a way that makes it seem like he's a genius for pointing out this fault in himself. Um, And again, LeBron never sees a problem with his game. Like he's living in LA. His kids are doing fine. He's making great money. Like uh, he's now the NBA um, scoring leader. Like, I think there's a lot of things that are good for going good in his life. And I don't think he planned this. I think ultimately the plan was Westbrook to help carry the load offensively. Um, in the regular season and then sit his ass down in the playoffs and hopefully that LeBron and Anthony Davis would be healthy. Like, I I honestly am uh, not surprised that this team is this bad. I think there are so many things that are wrong with it and that's all I want to say is if LeBron is a genius, I think we also have to criticize the teams that he has built in the regular season and then he's had to like trade off half the team's future assets um to get good like in the Cavs too they had a few years where they were not good and they had to trade away picks and young players to get back um players for one year like a one-year rental and LeBron is not a a great NBA GM he uh he's giving me a lot of Michael Jordan vibes well most players are not good GMs that's just (laughs) get that out of the way right players are not meant to be GMs but I'm telling you man LeBron's been scheming this since the offseason I swear (laughs) he he knew that the scoring record was achievable. He knows that if he averages 25 points a game for the next like year, he's going to pass Kareem for the regular season scoring title for all time. Like he's going to do it easily. There's no oh, question yeah. in my mind. Like there's no doubt. Oh yeah. But having this year of awful Russell Westbrook to take the attention rather than the Lakers taking the attention and how bad LeBron has been on defense. This is all part of the scheme. I guarantee it, you like know, 
after you've laid this out and thinking about the last two minutes, I actually agree with Peter. I think that LeBron did this not only to get the scoring titles and everything and pad his stats, but to use Russell Westbrook yes. as the scapegoat yes. as to why the Lakers are losing. Because LeBron could see what was going to happen in the future. He saw that the rest of his team is absolute garbage. Like the real yes. players that they got for the minimum, besides Malik Monk, have been terrible. And they needed a scapegoat, obviously. And LeBron's not going to be that guy. So why not bring probably the biggest scapegoat and one of the worst efficiency players in NBA history right now, Russell Westbrook. It's a very 100%. smart move, very cunning. And it's not, it's not just that, but it's like it's more like, do I really believe Kyle Kuzma and KCP are going to help me win another championship? Come on, man. Like, it was cool. They won in the bubble, whatever. But, nah. LeBron knew what was up. He knew that Anthony Davis can't be trusted to be healthy. You know that KCP and Kuzma aren't going to repeat what they did in the bubble. So why not just get Russell Westbrook in here? Have somebody take off all the pressure from you. You can drop your 30, 35 points a game every night. He's going to get the scoring title this year. Guaranteed, he's going to beat out Giannis and Joel Embiid for the scoring title. And just pad your your all-time legacy. You're not going to win anymore. What's the point? Just pad the numbers, man. Josh, you got some sad corner for us? I do. So I have two different stats corner for you today. Uh, they're both based on shooting. So the first one is there's 50 players that have taken 200 catch and shoot threes this season. Can you name, we'll give you both four guesses for the top 10 players in terms of percentage on catch and shoot threes this season. So who are the best, best catch and shoot three point shooters in terms of percentage so far this oh, year. And keep okay. in mind, most of these guys are role players or high-level role players. And okay, wait, just okay, to clarify, okay. what was the minimum number of attempts? 200. Okay. Peter, you're a shooter. Uh, you shooting shoot like three or so per game, three to four a game. Seth Curry. Seth Curry is not on the list, surprisingly. That's some bullshit. <laughs> really? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> god damn um i'm gonna say patty mills patrick mills number five 43 (laughs) percent never in his life has been he been called patrick (laughs) Patrick. (laughs) man that's weird i'm trying to be proper here uh how about my boy desmond bain Desmond Bain is on the list. He's right behind Patrick Mills at 42%, number six. Man, your boy, Peter? That's my boy. Uh, he's on my fantasy team, man. That's my, right, that's my guy right there. You take credit. Um, Catch and shoot. Uh, oh, percentage, eh? Um... <laughs> I love how Raj tries so hard with these. Like, Raj is clearly uh, an efficiency shooter, whereas I'm just, like, chucking up names here. I don't shoot enough. You would definitely not be in this list. No, man. (laughs) Raj wouldn't qualify because he doesn't shoot enough. How about Kevin Love? (laughs) Kevin Love is not on the list. Wow. So, you took all that time thinking to think of Kevin Love? I know. He's uh, he's shooting decent this year. What about... There are two white players in this list. Okay. Is JV one of them? No. No. Oh. Yo, remember at the beginning of the year? Shoot- 
He doesn't shoot enough, though. Oh, come on, man. Okay, JV, what about, step it up. What about uh, Cam Johnson? Cameron Johnson, number two, 45%. Nice. Oof. Is Carl Anthony Towns on this? He is hmm. not. Raj, you get one more guess, and then I'll give you the teams, and then you can guess the player. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to think of Boyan Bogdanovich as the white guy. <laughs> nope. Oh, as the white so, guy. number one is a white guy he's on an la team oh oh got it peter you do the honors go for it no go for it luke Kennard. there you go number two is cam johnson number three is a raptor wait the raptors have shooters they got one is it freddy it is Freddie, oh, wow. number three at forty-five percent. Oh, bet on number yourself. Number four has been talked about a lot as a guy who's really improved as a shooter. He's a San Antonio Spur, and he's not white. Okay, not white. <laughs> oh, that not rules out. Dermot. That rules out Zach Collins. Oh no, or Jakob Pertl. <laughs> uh, Keldon Johnson. Spurs shooters, eh? What'd you say? Keldon Johnson? Correct. Keldon Johnson, mm. 43%. And wow. then you got Patrick Mills and uh, Desmond Bain. And number seven is a Washington Wizard. He got traded to the Wizards. KCP. Recently. Yep, 42%. Number eight was a Golden State Warrior All-Star. <laughs> <laughs> Canadian. Canadian, yes, yes. Yuck. Ugh. Hey, yo, Andrew. top 10 yep. and catch and shoot threes. Yuck. He's been really bad since the All-Star break. <laughs> but yes, Andrew Wiggins, 42%. Number nine is a Charlotte Hornet. I bet you're going to get this one wrong. It's Terry Rozier. Incorrect. Oh, it's Gordon Hayward. Incorrect. Oh, no, shit. I forgot. No white guys. Um, Miles Bridges. <laughs> Incorrect. Okay, I have no idea. Is it? Oh, come on. You're Wait, thinking too hard. Yeah, oh, this is... oh, I know. I know. He was a Just... ex-warrior Kelly Oubre Jr. No. Hell no. What What the hell's wrong with Kelly Oubre? <laughs> he can't shoot. I actually have... I don't know what's uh, that. Let's just keep thinking the... way too hard on this one. We're just going to keep naming off names, man. PJ Washington. He shoots like this. Oh, my God. Leandro. What the hell is that? From the from like the chest area. Lamello. Was it Sean Marion? Yes, Lamello Sean Marion ball. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, you got a white guy in Miami. Let's see if you get the right one. It can only be one of like two or three. Yeah, I, I think no, I know there's no way it's Duncan Robinson. I don't believe that. And it's that. not Tyler it's Hero. Be... He's it's uh, Max Max Truce. Correct, correct. Well done. Uh, you confused me with the white guy. Uh, I thought so, there was no more white guys. So Yeah, there's a couple in Miami anyway. <laughs> um, just one moment. All right, so this is like a list of players that have taken 140 catch-and-shoot threes this season. So I'll give you guys both, um, we'll say, three guesses. 
So these are guys that haven't played in as many games, thus shooting less or just shooting less overall. And the top guy is at 48% on catch and th shoot threes, but he has, hasn't played enough games or enough minutes. So well, we'll each give you three guesses, and then we'll go through the list again, and I'll give you the teams. But minimum 140. Each. Minimum 140. There's 154 players that have actually qualified for this. And most of these guys are pretty well known. Most of them are role <laughs> players, but there are some stars on here. I thought he was going to say most of these players are pretty much white. <laughs> I thought he was going to say that. <laughs> eh, here's a couple. Uh, is our former Raptor JV on it now? No, he's not. I think he's Yo, at 37% on this. Come on. This guy's so There's a couple carryovers as well, like Fred Van Vliet's on the list, Cameron Johnson, Keldon Johnson, and Luke Kennard are all on the list. So you got six guys left. What about Boyan Bogdanovich? No. None okay. of the guys you've guessed are on this list. Really right oh, in that okay. Bogdanovich chain, eh, Raj? Except, sorry, except for Seth Curry. Seth Curry's number two at 47%. There you go. Oh, so he just isn't my a boy. Okay, uh, good shooters in the league. Let's see, let's see. Maxi Kleba. That's a terrible guess. He's been bad this year. So. <laughs> Hell no. What about, uh, we talked about him on the pod. Actually, I don't think he played enough games. Lonzo Ball. Just throw it out, man. Who? Lonzo. I don't think he's played enough, so okay. no. Two of these guys were on or are currently on Peter's fantasy team. <laughs> Great. My fantasy team? Whoa, let's, let's open up this third place team. Oh, Buddy Healed. No. No. Both are injured, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so, Michael Porter Jr., there's no way he got 140 up. Michael Porter Jr. hasn't played this year. He played like three games. I know. Well, he's, he's injured in all my team, Josh. That's what I'm trying to figure out here. Why are you lying to me? Looking at uh, Anthony Simons on this team. Num number one, 48%. Wow. Catch and shoot three point shooter. Wow. Pretty impressive. Yo, do, do you think the, the Trailblazers are going to bring him back? There's only like a week or two left, right? Like, why not get this guy I, some no. reps? They're going to rest them. I don't think they're going to bring him back because what's the point? They're trying to tank anyway. They're sitting out Josh Hart on back to backs. It's fucking ridiculous. But <laughs> I think the bigger question, which we can go into like maybe the next podcast, like one of the most under talked about storylines is what the hell they're going to do with their point guard position and what direction they're going to go in. Because you can't bring both those guys back. You can't bring back both Simons and Lillard, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. Since neither of them play defense. Yeah. It's going to be like McCollum and Lillard all over again, but younger. <laughs> Half <laughs> younger. Yep. Whew. So I'll just give you the teams. Uh, number four is on the Bulls. Zach on the Levine. Bulls? No way. Correct. Levine, 46%. Wow. wow. Uh, number seven was on Peter's fantasy team. He's a Portland... Tr Actually, no, he went from Portland to the Clippers. Sorry. Oh. Norm. Uh, Norman Powell. Peter somehow didn't get that one. 44%. It's been off my team for too long, man. I don't look in the past, mm. Josh. We look in the present. <laughs> yeah, you have no... Uh, what is it? Uh, you have no rearview windows, right? <laughs> no, man. We, we're looking forward. Light years forward. Light years, just like Golden State Warriors. Exactly. So, 
<laughs> this one is on your team that you thought was going to make the playoffs this year in the Sacramento Kings. Wait, they have no shooters. I can guarantee that part. You started off the year blazing hot. On the Kings? Harrison Barnes? Yep, 44%. Black Falcon. Black Falcon. And (laughs) lastly, one of the biggest surprises for the Boston Celtics. Let's see how many guesses this takes. Minimum. Peyton Pritchard. No. Nope. Oh, man. Can we just start naming names? I'm not waiting for Raj anymore, man. He takes too long. Yeah, I'm trying to get this right on the first try, Peter. I'm going through... Uh, nah. He's I'm got just his gonna... thinking cap on. Is, is it Marcus Smart? Nope. Jalen Brown? Keep going. Jason Tatum? Keep going. <laughs> Grant Williams? There you go. Oh, wow. 43%. Wow, he got 140 up. Well done. Best corner shooter in the league, man. Behind P.J. Tucker, obviously. I'm surprised P.J. Tucker's not actually on this list. He probably doesn't shoot enough. Doesn't qualify. I think he's at 45% overall, so he probably just doesn't qualify. Yeah. All right, good stuff, Josh. Making us really think. I've come to realize that Raj is going to shoot like two two attempts a game from now on. That's that's good to know. I uh I shot I think three times I shot two for three, um from the field and then I got like three or four layups. I yeah, actually had my best performance. Like the, <laughs> I'm not here like De'Aaron Fox on the Kings. You know what I'm saying? No, you're like J.R. Smith on the Cavs. <laughs> <laughs> it's rough. Champion J.R. Smith. Thank you very much. All right, good stuff, guys. I want to thank everyone for listening. Please remember to rate and subscribe on iTunes on Spotify. Five-star reviews, please. Positive comments only. Thank you very much. We're on Instagram and Twitter at HoopsCornerPod. And until next time, peace.